Then, you know what? And in the ring with Dan and Benny, hey, Brother Man, he's about the most cat. I just love him to death. I love you. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're the best. I'm telling you, brother, in the ring with Dan and Benny. Yeah. We love you. Thank Woo. you so much, Dan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spashian, and I'm joined, as always, by the original Long Island Ice B himself, Benny Scala. Benny, for those, uh, we're recording this on a Thursday. It's August 24th. Uh, the, the episode will air, will, will, will be us next Tuesday. Uh, about 20 minutes, give or take, 20, 30 minutes before we got to the air, the story broke tragically. Uh, Triple H posted out the he received a call from the Rotunda family that Wyndham Rotunda, known to the wrestling world as Bray Wyatt, tragically and unexpectedly passed away today. And we didn't even get through discussing our intro, which involves more people passing away. It's the wrestling business is just been it's been rough. And I know we we talk about the, the modern product a lot mostly in excuse me mostly in unfavorable light but we always said that Bray Wyatt was one of the few modern wrestlers along with like uh, someone like a Gunther and LA Knight CM Punk who who we genuinely believed could have easily survived and thrived in the territory days and obviously great family lineage so the thoughts our thoughts from the dan and benny show go out to the family like i said we're recording this on a thursday the day the news broke by the time this episode airs i'm sure more information will come out so we apologize for not being as as up to date as we could be but it's uh, i do i did want to address it because it's a name that's come up on the show a lot but um benny we have a to, to kind of, I, I really have no positive transition. Usually we try and do a little banter. It seems yeah. in poor taste now. Um, but we have a really interesting story to talk about today. So why don't you tell everybody who's on the phone with us? Because this is probably going to be one of our more unique episodes we've ever done. Well, Dan, so we're two and a half years in, and this is actually episode number 140 of Dan and the ben, Benny in the Ring. And in that time, we've had Hall of Fame wrestlers, main event wrestlers, enhancement talent wrestlers, uh, indie wrestlers, authors, publishers, referees, and promoters. And then many of the wrestlers had uh, post-wrestling careers and occupations, occupations uh, such as postal workers, newspaper business. And as in the case of our last guest, Bugsy McGraw, nursing. But now we can add a pastor. And our guest just, is, just isn't any pastor. He's the author of the phenomenal book. The Mass Saint, Husband, Pastor, Hero, uh, later made uh, into a movie of the same name, Dr. Chris Whaley. And uh, Dr. Chris, welcome to Dan and Benny in the Ring. Hey, Dan and Benny, man. It's great to be with you. Thank you so much Our for pleasure. having me. I've been looking forward to this. We, we appreciate your time and we appreciate you being here. When Benny, I, I give you 100, 100% of the credit here, when he first pitched the idea, uh, it's I have absolutely. This was great because this yours is such a unique story in the wrestling business. And Benny, as such, I mean, this was your idea to put this show together. Uh, first questions to you. What do you got? Well, Chris, normally we ask our guests like how the first question, how they were bitten by the wrestling bug. But 
you know, given that we, we just talked about Bray Wyatt, but within the last couple of days, we also lost two legends uh, and uh, Terry Funk and Abe Jacobs. Uh, and curious as to your thoughts on these two gentlemen, um, were you did you have any interaction with them uh, during your career as a wrestler? And uh, what was your your opinion of them as a fan? Well, Abe Jacobs was uh, phenomenal. He was a great athlete. He was a great amateur athlete. Uh, he was a great pro. Uh, he, you know, he died at 95. Right. And so uh, I watched him as a kid. Uh, I got to see him in person uh, several times. Um, and he, by the time I, I got into wrestling, he had gone on to other things by that time. But he was he was really uh, quite a quite a story. You know, he was influential in helping kickstart the career of Ric Flair. He put uh, he put Flair over in uh, in the early 70s. And it was it was a big deal. You know, Flair taking a win uh, from an older established wrestler wrestler uh, like Jacobs. And, you know, I, I never heard any uh negative thing about him everything i always heard about abe jacobs was was very positive and of course you know he's a new zealander and he he had that that move that no one else has ever been able to replicate the the kiwi roll yes that's and, yeah. Yeah. yeah so he was just uh, an unbelievable athlete and and just a, a great guy i think he ended up in the carolinas and lived the rest of his life out there. Uh, Terry Funk, you know, the, the only guy that I can compare him to as far as the bumps that he took is Mick Foley. Um, I mean, I, I saw uh, Terry do, uh, you know, backflip on concrete floor. Uh, the only one that could compare to him in interviews, of course, was uh, Rick Blair. Um, he was quite a guy. Uh, I never got to work against him. I was actually his, uh, his, his brother's pastor for a short while. Uh, my second church was up close to the Ocala area. And of course, Dory, uh, lives in Ocala and, um, Dory's wife, Marty, uh, her dad was actually a Southern Baptist minister also. And I had, oh, okay. uh, I had Mark, Marty's, uh, Marty's dad uh, preached for me once whenever I was out of the out of the pulpit and, um, you know, just got to spend some great time with uh, Dory and Marty. I actually did a benefit back in 93 for a lady who was dying with cancer. And uh, uh, I'd been let's see, I got out in 88. So this was, uh, you know, six years after I'd. Uh, gotten out of wrestling and I was a pastor and so I I was still in pretty good shape I mean I'm you know uh 93 I, I was still what, 39 at that time and um I talked to Dory about you know putting this benefit on he was a big help uh he worked uh against Rick Rude in that match uh that we set up for them and had uh, Bugsy McGraw on it, Dick Slater. Oh, okay. Uh, the bar had the Barbarian. Uh, had had some great names on there. And uh, Dory said, <clears throat> he said, "Why don't you call Terry and see if Terry will come work?" 
And I said, I, I really don't want to call Terry. And he said, yeah, call him, call him. And, uh, so I, I called him up and, uh, he answered, he always he answered the phone. Howdy partner. <laughs> I said, uh, That's a good Terry Funk. I said, I said, Hey Terry, this is Chris Whaley. Who? Uh, Chris Whaley. What do you want? I, uh, I'm doing a benefit and, uh, Dory told me to give you a call and, I'll wrestle you for the gate. I said, well, it's, it's a benefit for this, uh, for this sweet lady in my church. I'll wrestle you for half the gate. <laughs> well, Terry, it's a, it's a, it's a benefit. Uh, no, thanks. Click. That was it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He was, he was a funny guy, but you know, he was super, super nice. Uh, you, you couldn't ask for a, a greater guy but man in the ring he was uh, he was just phenomenal and um you know look how long that guy worked oh yeah. uh, also you know he was a great actor too i mean he did yep. frankie this uh, yep. yeah over the top uh with uh, stallone he did roadhouse with uh patrick swayze he was he was mm-hmm. in other movies but yeah, he was a great actor too i can't say enough about him but, uh, you know, the Funk family, uh, probably the greatest wrestling family in the business next, uh, you know, the, the only one that would even come close, uh, would be the Von Erichs. Right. But, uh, just, just a great family. Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting. Cause you, you talked about obviously his, the ageless wonder that he was with uh, his recent passing, you know, a lot of the talk yeah. of things he did in the ring, it, he, he was well known for doing a moonsault given his age. I, you know, I think it's important yeah. to note he didn't, he didn't add the moonsault to his repertoire until he was already in his forties. So yeah. I mean, you, you, you yeah. got guys that stopped doing the moonsault when they hit 40, he was almost 50 yeah. when he started doing it. Yeah. 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 He was, he was crazy. Uh, <laughs> there, there wasn't, there wasn't a bump. There wasn't a bump that he wouldn't take. Uh, there wasn't, there wasn't anything that he wouldn't attempt. I mean, he was just, uh, phenomenal and ageless. I mean, I saw, I saw a video not too long ago and it hadn't, hadn't been that long ago. And, uh, man, uh, it was some kind of interview that went kind of, kind of crazy. And, and, uh, he, he really put the guy over and took some unbelievable, uh, bumps and punishment and you know he was in his early 70s when he did that that was just crazy you know of course uh rick blair you know got back in the ring last year at the age of 73 um i was just in south carolina over the weekend uh i got to speak at this uh wrestling event in south carolina and the barbarian uh worked on that card and my i hadn't seen him in i don't know how long he's 65 and he took some bumps. I couldn't believe it. Um, I got back in the ring, uh, last year at the age of 68 after being out of wrestling for 35 years. And, uh, I, I tell you, I felt it for two weeks. Mm. So I don't, I don't, I don't know how some of these guys continue, uh, continue to work. You know, I have, I have no knees. I mean, my knees are shot. My hips are shot. My, uh, my shoulders are shot. And, uh, it's just, uh, incredible that you got guys that are still, still working at a high level. Um, 
that yeah. that are in their forties and fifties. Well, it, we we always start. I know Benny wanted to to talk to you, and, and this is a great question. But we always start with asking about the interest in the wrestling bug and all. So I want to start with that. When did the wrestling bug bite you and who got you interested in wrestling purely from a fan perspective? Um, well, you know, um, I, I, I started wrestling, uh, watching wrestling when I was a kid in the hospital. Um, I was, I was in the hospital a lot as a child and, you know, there wasn't a lot on TV in those days. And you're in the hospital, you get your days and your nights mixed up. And so late at night, uh, I'm laying there in bed wide awake and I turn the TV on and lo and behold, you know, late at night, you could find professional wrestling on TV. And of course they were replays from, for, uh, championship wrestling from Florida with Gordon Soley. And, and, uh, so I watched, uh, Eddie Graham against, uh, the great Malenko and I watched Joe Scarpa against Johnny Valentine. And I just saw some of the, you know, the greats, Red Bastine, Abe Jacobs, uh, Sam Steamboat. And as a kid, I was just enamored with it. Um, my dad, <clears throat> my dad had a third grade education. He was a long distance truck driver and knew nothing about sports. And so he couldn't teach me about, you know, football or baseball or basketball. Uh, but, you know, even my dad loved professional wrestling. And so when I was not in the hospital and as a kid, uh, I would beg him to take me to uh, wrestling over in Lakeland. I, I grew up in Central Florida. And over in Lakeland, uh, they would have wrestling on Saturday nights and got to see some of those Great, great, you know, matches. Uh, Bob Orton, uh, not Bob Orton Jr., but Bob Orton, his dad. And uh, just so many um, great wrestlers from the past that I saw as a kid, and I just got hooked. I I loved it. Um, anytime it was on, I watched it. Anytime I could go to the matches, I did. But I, I never thought that I would ever – be a professional wrestler because of uh, my health. I mean, I was just constantly in and out of the hospital and uh, skin and bones. I couldn't, couldn't put weight on. Mm. And then uh, finally, uh, this great doctor uh, from my childhood, he, he refused to uh, give up and, and they sent me to a Watson clinic in Lakeland. They started doing a lot of tests on me and they found out that, uh, the reason that my immune system wasn't kicking in was because of all the allergies I had. I had over 200 allergies. Oh, wow. And so I started started taking uh, allergy medication when I was in uh, junior high school. And all of a sudden, things changed, and I started putting on weight. And then uh, my doctor, uh, he's the one who got me going to the gym. He said, I want you working with weights and I want you swimming. And I want you doing all this stuff. And, and I just, I love lifting weights, man. It just became a passion. And so my body began to change. I began to put on weight, uh, began to look, you know, pretty decent. And so, uh, even then I never thought that uh, there was ever a chance that I'd be a professional wrestler. Uh, then my uh, my wife and I uh, were in college together, 
and I was just continuing to work out and uh, continuing to, you know, get in better, better shape. And we graduated from college and uh, came back to Central Florida. She was a high school math teacher. And um, so I was working and working out. That's what I was doing. And then uh, when I was 24, I uh, was looking at the Tampa Tribune one day and um, it's a big ad in there wanted professional wrestlers. It was in the sports section. And I uh, jumped up out of my seat and I ran over to my wife who was grading papers and I showed her the, the ad and she just kind of rolled her eyes and started back to grading papers. But I uh, immediately went in, uh, I packed a bag and um, I drove over to Tampa and walked in and there was, you know, this guy that I'd watched as a kid, uh, the great Malenko, and he's, you know, going to train me. And so that, that's how it happened. That's how I got, got hooked on it. Chris, how, how did you fare? Because uh, I've, I've heard that uh, we had another guest. His name was Buck Bresner, the, uh, the American giant. Probably came a little bit to, after you, but he trained under uh, Boris Malenko as well. And he said, the guy really was a taskmaster. Was that true? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, he, he, he meant business when you when you were there to uh, to train and work out. Uh, that's what you were there to do. You know, no goofing off or anything like that. And it was kind of neat, you know, because I was training with his sons, uh, Jody and uh, Dean. And so I got to work work against Dean and work against Jody, work against some some other great guys. And of course, my uh, my best friend, one of my best friends today, is um, uh, Mark Mero, who wrestled oh, yeah. with Johnny B. Bad and you know marvelous Mark Mero. And uh, he was trained by Malenko. Also, we we shared our stories with each other. But he, you know, he he just did uh, unbelievably well with the uh, WCW and the WWF and um, Malenko. I I think he was the best uh, in the business at training uh, wrestlers, but he was also a great guy too. Whenever I uh, left Florida and I went to Texas to uh, go to seminary, um, I, I called him up and I said, you know, can you, can you help me? You know, that was the day of the territories and, um, man, they did not look, uh, very favorably, uh, on independence. And if you were an independent trying to get into a territory, uh, it was, it was pretty difficult in those days, you know, it was, uh, you either knew somebody or you were related to somebody. Uh, to get you in there. And so it was just difficult finding uh, the opportunity to work, uh, you know, coming from an independent uh, position in my life. But when I went to Texas, I called him up and he told me who to talk to in in Dallas. You know, I'll never forget. He said, uh, uh, talk to Bronco Lubitsch, you know. And so that was the first person I looked up whenever I went to to Texas, and uh, so I was able to to get on out there and work, and um, he was just a great help to me, and I I uh, kept in touch with him as you know as much as I could, and it was just a real uh, heartbreak. Uh, he died of leukemia, and um, that was a real heartbreak. But I still see Jody uh, about every other month. They have the legends. 
luncheon over in Tampa at O'Brien's Pub, and uh, I, I got inducted into the Legends uh, thing that they put the names on over there, and and uh, every every other month they usually have an event there where they induct a couple more people. And so, you know, I get to see Jody. He comes to that. Um, Bugsy's usually there. Uh, Buddy Colt used to be there until he passed away. Uh, B. Brian Blair heads it up, Bob Cook. And there's always, you know, some, some great, great names over there when you, uh, when you go to those things. So, uh, I miss I miss Larry a whole bunch, um, but man, his legacy is just going to continue to live on for a long time. You real quick, uh, you mentioned obviously at the time you were training, you got the pleasure of training with his son. Dean Malenko is often regarded as one of the best technical talents of his generation. <clears throat> Was it obvious to you when when you? We're training with them to like the holy cow, this kid is going to kill it. Yeah, but um, Jody was better. I mean, Jody was uh, not only trained by his dad, but he was trained by Carl Gotch. And uh, I mean, he was he was a bad news bear. Um, I, I did a, a match where it was called a takedown match. You got points for takedowns and all. It was a little strange, you know, for professional wrestling, but. Uh, man, that was one of the most brutal matches I was ever in uh, was with Jody. So Dean was Dean was great. He he you know ended up being a you know a star, uh, the man of a thousand holes. But Jody uh, Jody was great in his own right. He he was just uh, honored. Uh, no, he's going to be honored. I think next week at Cauliflower Alley, and um, and I think he just accepted uh, an award on behalf of his dad. At the uh, the Lutez, um, the Lutez Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame in uh, Waterloo, Iowa. Right. So, so a lot of a lot of great memories from uh, from that guy. I tell you, he just he was one of the best. Chris, uh, I believe, and if I read the book correctly, your very first match was against Adrian Adonis. Now, most of the younger fans they remember the bloated version of the adorable adrian adonis but i go back a little further than that and i remember the really and not only did he look tough but i heard he was legitimately tough he, you know he was built from uh, hell's kitchen new york and uh keith frankie like i said he had the reputation of being legitimately a a tough guy besides being a superbly i mean he was a very talented wrestler what was it like wrestling yeah. him well he wasn't my first match my first match was against uh uh, the grappler, uh, but I worked against Adrian Adonis. Matter of fact, my first shoulder injury was, uh, compliments of him. Uh, he was, you know, he was bad news bear in, in the ring. I think the only tougher, the toughest guy that, that I ever worked against was Bruiser Brody. Um, I got, got one of my last concussions from Bruiser Brody, but, uh, Adrian, he, he was right up there with him as far as uh, being pretty, you know, ruthless in the ring. But uh, uh, I was glad I only had to work against him once. Was it as uh, as rough as history and and almost legend at this point would make it out to be? 
I'm sorry. Say it again. I said the the legend of of Brody in the ring, how how rough and stiff he was to work with. I yeah. said, was that was that true or is that? Ooh, yeah, yeah. I don't even know how I got home that night. <laughs> uh, I mean, he uh, he kicked me in the head. You know, oh, I, no. I had a concussion. Wow. Had Jeez. concussions, and I just I don't even know how, how I got home that night. Uh, he, he was he was you, pretty rough, yeah, pretty rough dude. You know, it's funny. Benny said this is episode 140, and you're not the first guest we've had that's told a story about I locked up with Brody in the ring, and then I woke up at home and don't remember much after yeah. much before yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, I tell you, he was uh, he he was pretty brutal. He, he really was. And, and, you know, even though I was in wrestling, I, I'm also a fan. And I, I mean, I love the matches between him and Abdullah. I mean, they were just classic. Uh, I, I tell you, I, I got to talk with, uh, Abby, uh, about three years ago. Um, I, I was invited to the, uh, professional wrestling hall of fame there in, in um, Wichita Falls, Texas. And, okay. So uh, when they picked uh, me up at the airport, uh, they picked Abby up at the airport and um, uh, Hands of Stone. What was his name? Hands of Stone. Ronnie Garvin. Uh, Ron Garvin. Yeah. Yeah. So all three of us are riding back to Wichita Falls in the in the van. And it's just story after story after story. And the majority of the stories were from uh, Abdullah. He, he, he had the most. And uh, and. and uh, not only the most stories, but the best stories. You know, I, I felt kind of, uh, you know, I felt kind of shy. I better just shut up because my stories aren't nothing like these guys. How much you, how much you learned just being in the backseat of some of those old territory <laughs> road trips? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. That's yeah. for sure. You know, in, in a strange way, there are some similarities, but if you were to ask somebody to to pick any two vocations that were more divergent than pastor and professional wrestler, they might be hard pressed to find one. So you mentioned, obviously, you, you had your career it was about 10 years, Florida, the South, travel territories, and then you transitioned to to pastor. Was it difficult flipping the switch between the two or was there some extension? Was the the each kind of just some extension of your true self? You know, uh, when I was in when I was in wrestling, I never I never had a problem with depression, um, never had a problem with uh, anxiety or anything like. That. I got to work it out in the ring, and so when I went from wrestling to uh, becoming a pastor, that was the big difference. Um, I wasn't able to work my anxiety out uh, like I used to, you know, in the ring. But um, not long after I became a pastor, and, and believe me, uh, when you go to seminary, I was in seminary for three years uh, getting my Master of Divinity. Uh, you learn a lot of great stuff in seminary. Uh, you have to learn languages. You know, the Old Testament was written in, in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek and Aramaic. And uh so you have to learn the languages and, you know, history and you learn education, you learn counseling, you learn a lot of stuff, but they don't teach you how to be a pastor. And so I'm kind of learning on the job 
doing that. And then um, I had this uh, precious uh, young lady that would uh, drop her kids off at our children's program. And she would come into the sanctuary. She was usually the last one in the sanctuary. And she was the first one to leave. Uh, but one particular Sunday, it wasn't long after I became the pastor of this church, um, she came in with sunglasses on. And I thought that was a little strange, but, you know, some people, I guess, do that. And so I uh, uh, finished the, the service, and I'm standing at the front shaking hands. And on this particular day, she was the last person to leave. And when she came up to me, she grabbed my hand with both of her hands and had her head down and I could see tears coming down her cheeks. And I reached over and uh, lifted her sunglasses and she had two black eyes mm. and it just, it just infuriated me. Uh, uh, any, any man that would hit a woman is a dirt bag and, and bullies, bullies only pick on people they know that they can beat. And so I, I just said, you know, I talked to her. I said, your husband do this? And she said, yes. And I said, well, I'm going to go see him. And she said, well, he'll hurt you. And I said, well, I'm not really worried about it. And so I went to, I went to their house and um, uh, I called him out. I just said, you know, I can't, I came by to see how you would do against somebody who was able to fight back. And so uh, we danced in his front yard, and I relieved a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress. And it was it was a lot of it was a lot of fun, you know, uh, being able to do that. And then I just it just started happening where I had episode after episode where I was handling people more as a professional wrestler than as a pastor. And so, you know, my first few years in the ministry, even though I was out of professional wrestling, I was still using uh, professional wrestling uh, on some people who were bad people. And that's, not, that's how my book, uh, that's how my book, The Mass Saint, came about. Uh, I, all, all it is is just episode after episode of things that happened to me in the ministry and how I uh, how I responded to it and did that and and so you know that's how the the mass saint came came to be, but uh, you know the wrestling it actually prepared me for the ministry. I mean you, you don't get into the ring unless you're prepared. Uh, you certainly don't get behind the pulpit unless you're prepared. Um, you deal with difficult people in the ministry. You deal with difficult people uh, as a as a as a pastor, and so there was a lot of similarities to it. And plus, uh, you know, when it came out that I was a professional wrestler, it uh, it causes some people who might be a problem to decide not to be a problem because they don't want to get decked, you know. <laughs> So, so Chris, this is going to be. Uh, I don't know if you ever seen the movie Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield when he takes his uh, <laughs> final when he takes his final exam. Professor Philip Barbet said, "I only have one question uh, with 37 parts." So this is going to be my my Philip Barbet question. Not really, but um. So I've watched a lot of really good wrestling movies in my my lifetime, which yeah. and I actually did not see The Masked Saint until a couple of days ago, but. I would recommend that to anyone. What a what a movie! But 
the movie I'm talking about right now is 350 Days, which was a documentary uh, chronicling the anecdotes and uh, road stories of many of the uh, former older wrestlers. But there was a gentleman that, in that movie who I really didn't know as a wrestler. His name was uh, Howard Jerome. And he made this statement, which has stuck with me for years now. There's a fundamental longing in the human heart to see good triumph over evil. So the, the fact that you, you, know, you played the mass saint, uh, you, you played a man of God. Does that make the dynamic a little bit different? Because, you know, you, you're not just fighting, you know, it's not good versus evil, but you're you're actually fighting the battle for God. And then the second part of the question is, uh, I'm not sure how much of the current product you do watch, but those lines, the good versus evil lines, they've become completely blurred. And in my opinion, so so is uh, the lines of society. And I use the example of Tim Tebow, who's one of my all-time favorite athletes, played for the Florida Gators. But he was ridiculed by so many people just because he, you know, he publicly professed his faith. And then uh, John Cena always was booed by at least half the crowd, uh, even though he made, I don't know how many, countless uh, Make-A-Wish uh, uh, Foundation. Uh, you know, he spent so much of his time with Make-A-Wish. So do you think that modern-day wrestling is simply mirroring modern society? You know, uh, that's a that's a great question, and I I think you know I think there's a lot to that question because you know when I I got out uh, I'm still a fan you know still wanted to see my friends on TV and stuff and still wanted to keep up with people but uh, you know Vince McMahon kind of changed he changed wrestling when he you know when he took over the WWF. Uh, from his dad, uh, Vince is, he is a major marketer. I mean, he is just an unbelievable marketer. And so he took this little territory, the WWF and made it into a multi-billion dollar business when he took wrestling national and international, you know, he signed with NBC and USA and, and, and of course he was the first one to do pay-per-view and, Early on, you know, there was just some great stuff on there. But the longer, the longer he stayed there, I think uh, the the more dark wrestling became, and just a lot of stuff that I I just didn't want to see it, so I quit watching it. That's that's why uh, you know when I was in Blackjack's uh, hospital room and he introduced me to his his uh, grandsons, they were major stars in the WWE, you know, Bray Wyatt, Bo Dallas. Bo Dallas, And right. I didn't even know, mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't even know who they were. So, because I quit watching it and I, I just started back. Um, uh, Jeff Jarrett was uh, really uh, gracious in helping to promote the movie, uh, The Masked Saint. And uh, so I got, I got to know Jeff Jarrett and, communicate with him and i uh i saw that the aew was going to be in tampa a couple weeks ago and i sent him a text and said hey you guys never come to florida and i see you're in tampa you mind if i come over and he he texted me back and said come on over i'd love to see you and so i went over there and um i of course the only ones i knew uh, i dustin rhodes uh i saw dean malenko for the first time and 30 years uh, and uh, Chris Jericho and but besides that 
I used to know a lot of those guys, and it was, it's kind of embarrassing not knowing it. And then watching their their show, it, it was just unbelievable. One match, you know, they did nothing breaking table. We broke tables in my day. But, I mean, to throw thumbtacks on the on the mat and body slam somebody on thumbtacks? I mean, right. That's just, uh, that's just crazy. You know, that's stuff they do in backyard wrestling matches. And I just never thought I would see that. But it's just, you know, in, in our day, you had good guys against bad guys. And usually the good guys won. And... Um, it's just, just a lot different today, especially, uh, you know, the, some of the language that they use and stuff. I mean, uh, I have, I have grandkids now and I wouldn't want to take my grandkids and let them hear some of the things that they say, uh, on those microphones and, and, uh, certainly don't want them watching it on TV. So it's, it's sad to see what it has become today. And, um, that's that's why I like a lot of the independent shows that right. that really have some great talent today, uh, but a lot of them are just getting back to the old school way of doing things, and and I'm glad to see that. You talk about the transition. Do you mean to tell me you never worked when when you were with the Malenkos? You never worked on how to take a bump through a pile of light bulbs or <laughs> no. No, nope. uh, I think if you had said something to Larry about doing something like that, he would have thrown you out and said, no, no need for you to come back. Tell, uh, uh, you, you, you were talking about being on the road, Benny, what do you think if a, a kid were to show up in the locker room and tell, uh, uh Abdullah or Bruiser Brody that he, I'm going to cut you with a pizza cutter and then hit you over the head with a light bulb. <laughs> <laughs> You think that kid would have enough uh, enough bones not broken in his legs to walk home? Or uh, I, I could only imagine what he'd look like by the time they were done with him. <laughs> Be like that. That's funny. Yeah, I, I, I would I wouldn't want to try that myself. No, not Brody yeah. or Abdullah. No, no way. That's yeah. that's why it, it cracks me up when I see interviews or hear interviews with talent today. And they almost are proud of the fact that you, you were just, you know, you were telling the story about sitting in the backseat of the car and listening. And yeah. some of these kids today talk like they're almost proud that they don't take advice. You know, oh, we got plenty of veterans in the locker room. I don't listen to those old coots. They they don't know what real yeah. wrestling is. Like, yeah. yeah. No, I listen, I, I I'm still learning. I'm 69 and I'm still learning. Um but I, I want to learn from everybody yeah. who can teach me something. And I mean, the guys that I sought out when I was in wrestling were the ones who'd been in the business for a long time. Yep. And, and I wanted their, I wanted their critique and I wanted their advice. And say, Hey, did, did I do that? Did I do that bump? Good. I mean, would you change anything? Uh, you know, what, what, what would you say to help make me better? You know, I mean, I always wanted, um, to, to be better every time I got in the ring, I wanted to be better than I was the, the time before. And one of the best ways is, is getting, you know, advice from people who've been doing it a lot longer than you and who are a lot more successful, you know, so you, you can never stop learning. So I, that's, that's sad, you know, with the young talent today that doesn't want to learn from the older talent. Heck one of our, uh, our very first episode 
we got, got to interview Dominic Danucci, and he would tell us the stories that every you know some of the the legends like Bruno and Lou Thez would occasionally peek around the corner and take notes on matches. I mean, these were guys yeah. that were considered the best of all time, and they still never wanted to stop learning. Right, right, yeah, and that's why they were great. That's right. why they were great and stayed great is because they were always looking for an edge, always looking to be better, always wanting to do a you know better job the next time they got in the ring than the last time they got in the ring. Right. And um, I'm very, very thankful that my mind and my heart was open to that because uh, I, I don't think I would have would have lasted uh, 10 years uh, with an attitude that a lot of guys have today. Speaking of legends, I know this might um, might sound odd because we were talking about you know you wrestled with the mask and um, there was another wrestler who wrestled under a mask to to hide his identity. Uh, he wrestled as the student, real name, uh, his real life students knew him as Jim Myers. Anybody who's ever watched wrestling knew him as George the Animal Steel, one of my all time favorites. Yeah. Did you ever have the pleasure of meeting or working with him? Because uh, I know he did spend his later years in Florida. No, I, I didn't. And, and it was sad. I had friends that knew him and had friends. Uh, matter of fact, there was one time I was supposed to meet him and it didn't work out. And I was just very sad for that. But uh, he was uh, he was such a great talent. I, lo- oh, I yeah. love watching. I love watching him work. And uh, he 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 was quite a guy, even even after wrestling, man. He um, he was just uh, super. I never heard. Uh, he's another one I never heard a negative thing about. No, no, sir. So, Chris, uh, when I read the book, uh, and you're you I grew up in uh, Long Island, New York, and my life lifelong hero has been Bruno San Martino. But there's a lot mm-hmm. of parallels between you and Bruno. Bruno uh, grew up during World War II, got sick in the mountains of Italy with uh, rheumatic fever. And, I mean, when he came to America at the age of 14, I think he weighed 83 pounds. But you struggled you struggled uh, a good part of your childhood with illness. And you both overcame, you know, serious illness to become professional wrestlers. Did you ever meet Bruno? No, never met Bruno. He was, you know, he was up in the Northeast and I, I never went up to the Northeast. Uh, so I stayed in the Southeastern United States and, um, you know, uh, Texas or Louisiana, Mississippi, uh, Oklahoma, but never made it up North because, uh, <clears throat> of course my last three years, um, <laughs> I'm going to seminary in the daytime and wrestling at night. So uh, that pretty much consumed that of staying in the area. So I didn't get to do that. But I had the greatest respect for uh, Bruno San Martino. I mean, man, uh, there wouldn't uh, there wouldn't be a WWF had it not been right. for Bruno San Martino. And he was just an unbelievable athlete. And uh, I I think you know he was the Hulk Hogan of his day. Sure. But, you know, it's really funny that that he you had similar remarks. He he said that the first time he set foot in a gym, I think he was 15 or 16 in Pittsburgh. And he said, 
I knew there was something in this for me. I knew that something good would become of this. And it, it sounded very similar to what I read in your book. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, hey, I, 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 I was never uh, any kind of a star the way, you know, Bruno San Martino or there are so many others that I could name for you. Uh, I felt very fortunate just to be able to do what, you know, what I was able to do. But you always have those people like uh, Bruno and, uh, you know, the Funks, uh, Dory Funk Jr. My goodness, you know, look at the uh, the legacy of the, the yeah. Funk family and the, and the Von Erichs. Man, the Von Erichs, you know, when I was in Texas, uh, of course, number one thing in Texas was the Cowboys, and number two were the Von Erichs. Erichs, yeah. I mean, they were just—they were just revered, and you know, Kerry got away with some stuff that I just—I uh, was dumbfounded. You know, he was running late to a show one time, called uh, you know the local uh, sheriff's office and said, "Hey, it's Kerry Von Erich, and I'm supposed to be working here." Can you help me out? And, you know, a uh, deputy sheriff met him on the highway and gave him an escort to the arena. I mean, try that in Florida. Yeah. You, know, you can't do that. So um, <laughs> I just felt, you know, very, very blessed to be able to be around the, the ones that I was and to, to have the opportunities that I had. And um, yeah, I got out of wrestling really at the height of my career. I was 34 years old yes, when so I graduated from seminary in 1988 and went to my first church. So at the time when I could, I was just starting to really, uh, you know, make a difference and, and getting some good work and all, um, I gave it up, you know, to go and pursue, uh, wrestling was my dream, but uh, ministry was my calling and I had to fulfill that calling, which I've done for uh, 35 years since wrestling, yeah. but, uh, but still, still had a blessed life and uh, still got, got that fire in me for wrestling. And I just, I, I still love, love the fact that uh, w- one day, you know, I'm hoping it's going to return to, to what it used to be and it, it's both. always going to be you know it's always going to be great you look at uh there's not a night that you turn the tv on that you can't find wrestling i mean you think about that wrestling is on just about every night right uh, you have you know wwe you got aew and you got a, probably a thousand independent shows going on all over the nation so it's not dying, man. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, absolutely. So, Chris, uh, two of my absolute favorite favorite performers in the movie were Diane Carroll, who played Miss Edna, and Roddy Piper, who played the shady promoter, Nikki Stone. Now, most people remember Diane Carroll as the heel, Dominique Devereaux, in the movie mm-hmm. Dynasty, in the TV show Dynasty. But I'm going to date myself a little bit because... I remember her from uh, when I was, I guess, probably about 13. She was in a show called Julia. Uh, she played a right. single mom and a nurse. And uh, now, right. and what can anybody say about Roddy Piper that hasn't already been said? I, I do believe that he passed away not too uh, long after the movie was made. 
So another multiple part question, were you involved in the production of the movie? And if so, how was it working with both of them? Uh, and, and as far as the real Miss Edna, I know in the movie, Miss Edna was in the church when you were a pastor. In the book, uh, Miss Edna was your, your childhood mentor. Um, right. what, that, is that, was the Miss Edna in the book the, the uh, historical Miss Edna? Right, yeah. Um, you know, for the movie, they brought her up to real time. And I didn't like that part of it, but, you know, that that's movie business. They do that kind of stuff. Sure. But, um, uh, no, she was from my childhood. I met her when I was eight years old, and which was really unusual for a white kid in the South in the 60s. In the 60s, you know, right, to, yes. Yeah, to have a have a, a black mentor that was really uh just unheard of but she was just the most precious precious lady she didn't live too far from us uh where i grew up and she she was a godly woman and you know she loved to quote edmund burke uh the only thing necessary for for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing do nothing mm-hmm. right and she, yep. she kind of she kind of burned that into my heart growing up, and um, I just I, I grew up with that. And even today, you know, um, I just can't stand to see evil prevail. And when I see things happening uh, that I can make a difference and do something, I, I'm going to do that. Uh, <laughs> I'll probably you know be on the news one day. Uh, old professional wrestler gets killed doing you know, trying to help somebody, but that, you know, that'll be a great way to go out because, uh, um, I, I don't mind that. And it's really incredible that I didn't get killed doing that. You know, all of those things that happened, uh, that you read about in the book. I mean, that every chapter is built on real life. Well, you, you know, didn't you walk into a, a clan meeting in the woods and like, there yeah. was like four or five of those yeah. guys just yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, that was a real shocker to go to your church and find out, you know, you had clan members there. But, um, it, you know, it was it was just great uh, relying on all of those things that uh, that I learned from her. I just learned so much from her. and She was so precious. But Diane Carroll was such a sweetheart. You know, when the movie was made, she was 79 years old. Wow. And uh, she looked she great. Starting, uh I know she's gorgeous and uh, she was starting to deal with dementia. Uh, they had to get a teleprompter uh, for her to do her lines with because she couldn't remember the lines. And um, but she was just really sweet and, you know, gave me a hug every time I saw her. And uh, she did a she did a great job. Roddy Piper. Oh, my goodness. It had been 25 years since I had seen uh, Roddy, I worked against him like 25 years before this, and I was so excited whenever I found out that they had cast him as uh, Nicky Stone. And the first day on the set when I saw him, it, it was just it was so great, you know, to uh, reconnect. And um, you know, he looked, he was still in great shape, man. This was 2013, 10 years ago when the the movie was filmed in November of 2013, and he was still in great shape. He looked great. He always looked great. He always looked classy. But he was such a, not only was he an unbelievable uh, wrestler, he was a great actor. 
I mean, yeah. if you, yes. uh, I am, I am him. You'll just see uh, countless uh, TV and movies, you know, that he did. And of course, uh, his first big one was They Live. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Yes. Yeah, I love that line in there. He said, I'm, I'm chewing bubble gum and kicking butt, and I'm fresh out of bubble gum. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he was, he was just a great, great guy. Uh, if you watch any of his matches on YouTube, uh, you'll see that he always wrestled with his wedding ring. He never took his wedding ring off. And he always wanted to be home on the weekend to be with his family. Very devoted uh, to his great family. Fam- yeah, very devoted to his family. So it was just tragic. You know, the movie was filmed in November of 13, and then he passed away, I think, uh, July 31st in 2014. And we were just shocked and devastated. You know, he didn't get to see the the movie hit the theaters. Uh, probably never got to see the director's cut of the movie. But, uh, man, what a thrill uh, in my heart to know that, you know, my movie was the last one that he did. You know, one of the <clears throat> one of my favorite movies, you know, especially the sports theme movies, is Rudy. Uh, at the end of the movie, the real Rudy Rudiger makes a cameo and he's sitting behind the, the family in the stadium. Uh, uh, there's also, I mean, Aaron, the real Aaron Brockovich plays a waitress serving Julia Roberts. You've got uh, Frank Abengale is in Catch Me If You Can, um, uh, The Wolf of Wall Street. There's numerous biography movies where, of course, uh, Jerry Lawler playing himself in Man on the Moon. There's numerous biography movies where the real person uh, cameos. So I, I'm curious uh you you pulled a rudy right were, were you were you in the crowd uh for the saint were you in the in the crowd I, of that movie i was at the very <clears throat> excuse me at the very end of the movie during that uh before the cage match starts uh, they shine the camera on me and i'm clapping and then i had one line one line in the movie uh you got it saint and I got to say that. Uh, so I was sitting sitting there at ringside when it was being taped and uh, got to got a cameo in it. That was that was kind of a thrill. But, uh, you know, they they were so good to me and let me um, I, I was on the set of the movie from the beginning, you know, until until it ended. Oh, wow. And got to got to be there for uh, all of the taping. And it was just a a great, great experience, and um, uh, I'm hoping that uh, there's a possibility. You know, Netflix is really looking for faith-based movies, uh, or excuse me, faith-based series, and they could actually take the book and you know get an episode off of each chapter. So, sure, I'm I'm hoping that it, that it comes great. to that, and, and they uh, they get to do that, but. Uh, it's just a, a big thrill, Benny and Dan, to, to get to do what I did. I had to pinch myself, man, when when it was going on. Uh, that you know, this little book that I wrote actually was made into a, a movie that uh, won Best Picture at the 2015 International Christian Film Festival. So, wow, that's uh, awesome! Just just very very blessed. Yeah, we, we can completely relate. I mean, Benny has to pinch himself regularly when he realizes he's still working with me. So, 
Except that at my age, I have, my age, I have to I have to watch for blood clots, so I don't pinch myself too tight. <laughs> That's funny. I love that. Chris, I'm I'm of the utmost opinion that everything in life has some kind of correlation to professional wrestling. So even my granddaughter Lila will watch somebody on TV, and I'll say, is she a ba- is that a baby face or a heel? I mean, it, wrestling is it, it permeates my entire life, kind of like the the uh, six degrees of Kevin Bacon. So I wanted to ask you, what's the similarity between a sermon and a promo? Uh, well, I I think. Preparation, you know, you want to be prepared for both of those. I, I never wanted to uh, get into the pulpit. Uh, you know, the movie, uh, they, they did some funny stuff in the movie. For one thing, I never had a choir that sounded as gosh awful as the choir sounded in that movie. And I was not as bad of a preacher as they made me out to be in the movie. I was going to ask you about that. They they really made you, they painted you as very awkward in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was not, man, I was, I was ready to, you know, uh, when the lights came on the camera, I was ready. And so I, I had no, no problem, you know, standing in the pulpit and preaching, but, uh, I wanted to be prepared. You know, I wanted to make sure I was prepared to give what I was going to do on that day. And the same thing with, uh, uh, with promos, man, and interviews, you you, you want to make sure that uh, when the light turned on on that camera, you were ready to 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 give it your best, and that that that's what I did. And there's you know there's a lot of similarities between professional wrestling and and just everyday life. I do that myself, Benny. I I really do. Uh, you know, I look at uh, I'm a big Trump fan. You know, Donald Trump. Uh, people got mad when he would say things. I said, I was in professional wrestling for 10 years, man, and got my feelings hurt all the time. So that doesn't bother me when he gets up and says stuff. Uh, he, you know, he was, uh, uh, he, he was a baby face, but a lot of people made him out to be a heel. Yep. Yep. Uh, and, and, uh, it's, you know, that's the way it is in life. You deal with baby faces and heels of every day. So. It's uh, a lot of a lot of similarities. I think you're you, you got something there uh, when you you look at life like that. Well, I mean, as we as we wrap up here, Chris, uh, you know, it, so many great stories. You, you talked about the book. You talked about the movie. Uh, but tell our listeners and our our friends on YouTube where they can find your books. And I say books because I, I want you to. Tell, talk a little bit about your, your Christmas book as well and, and where they can find the Mass Saint movie. Okay. Hey, thanks for asking that. By the way, I'm going to tell you, you didn't ask for this, but um, I wrote a, uh, a third book with uh, an old wrestling buddy. When he was in wrestling, uh, he wrestled as uh, the evil Prince Anaka. He, his, his real name is Mike McClaskey and Mike uh, Mike and I actually got into wrestling together and we stayed friends all these years. And, and when Mike got out of wrestling, he, he did a lot of work in movies. He, he was a stunt man. And, and then he, uh, uh, learned how to write movie scripts and he's written several scripts and stuff. And so we did a, a, a book together. It was actually a, a script or a movie that, uh, we had hoped, uh, the rock would do. Uh, it's called Mr. President. 
and it kind of it parallels two lives. So there's a sleazy comedian, uh, his name is Timmy Connors, and he grows up from a bad home life, and he grows up to be a comedian, and he runs for president every four years. There used to be a comedian by the name of Pat Paulson. Oh, yeah, on the Smothers but, Brothers. Uh, yeah, so he runs for president every four years, and when he's doing this, he gets uh, autographs from celebrities, and what the celebrities are actually signing, or when they think they're giving an autograph, they're actually signing an agreement to be his vice presidential candidate, and he gets a lot of publicity out of those uh, celebrities. And then the other life is a young African-American kid that grows up with a good mom and and he wants to be the world heavyweight wrestling champion. And he grows up to be the world champion. And uh, Timmy Connors gets an autograph from uh, Butch, uh, Butch Vernon is his name in the movie, but I mean, in the book, but he gets his autograph. And so he signed the agreement to be the vice presidential candidate for Timmy Connors. And of course, they get a lot of publicity out of that. And then there's a big scandal with the Democrats and the Republicans and the comedian wins the presidency. And when he's making his acceptance speech, uh, he has a heart attack and it thrusts the world heavyweight champion into the presidency. And then he starts putting his wrestling buddies in his cabinet and it just turns, turns Washington upside down. It's a political, political comedy. It's hilarious. It is so – every time I reread it, it I just crack up from I, I like the that. stuff we put in the – and uh, it's it's coming out uh, Black Friday, uh, Thanksgiving week. It's coming out called Mr. President with a question mark. And so uh, just wanted to tell you that one. But uh, the – if you like the – the book is really the real story. Uh, you can get it cheaper on uh, Amazon or uh, one of those other places where you buy books online. But if you want an autographed copy, uh, you can go to my website, which is uh, themassaint.com, and uh, I'll be glad to send you an autographed copy. And I've got other things on there. I've got uh, Mass Saint t-shirts, but the Christmas book, you know, you get kind of spoiled when you write a book and it's made into a movie. And I was thinking, you know, what would have the best chance of being made into a movie? Uh, my wife and I, we, you know, we kind of hooked on those Christmas movies that, that play on the Hallmark channel. And now they have uh, great American, the great American channel. And they show uh, Christmas movies 24 seven, starting at the end of October and they show them all the way to the first week of January. So I had a, a great idea for a Christmas story, and I, I wrote it. I, I love the book. It, you know, it, did you like the movie It's a Wonderful Life? Oh, yeah. 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 Well, uh, Harold's Heavenly Christmas. Harold is the new Clarence, and it's, it's better than anything on Hallmark or on the Great American Channel. Uh, it's a great Christmas story, and um, uh, I, I, if you if you like Christmas, you'll love that book. Uh, but the DVD, uh, you can also get that on Amazon. But I have uh, the Canadian copy of the DVD, 
And the Canadian copy of the DVD has the behind the scenes stuff. It's got uh, Roddy Piper doing interviews. It's got uh, Diane Carroll doing interviews. And every one of the characters uh, in the movie uh, does an interview. It's also got the song uh, that a young lady did a great job of singing. It's on there. And they have interviews with me and with uh, Brett Grandstaff, who plays me in the movie. Uh, so I have those, so you can, you can't get those on Amazon. You can only get those from me. Uh, but you can get that off of my website, uh, also. Now re- regions being what they are, will that Canadian DVD play in an American DVD player? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I play it on mine. It's, uh, it's the same, you know, DVD. It's just a it's just a better edition uh, than the one that uh, came out in America. The movie was filmed in uh, Sault Ste. Marie, Canada. Uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. You know, when I wrote the book, uh, I had a producer here in Orlando who uh, he was actually the producer of the first three Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies, the ones that were blockbusters. Uh, he did. He, he, he did those. And uh, he he did uh, a movie with Jim Caviezel. It was a golfing movie called uh, Stroke of Genius, the Bobby yes. Jones yeah, story. The, yep. uh, so, yeah, so he produced that one. And then he started doing faith-based movies. He did, he did a movie called Letters to God. So he was very interested in uh, my book, and I met with him. Uh, they had a script written. He kept me on the hook for about a year. And then all of a sudden he just changed his mind. But during that year, I met a lot of people in the movie business and a lot of producers and uh, script writers. And so uh, when he got through with me, another producer called me and he kept me on the hook for a little bit. And then he changed his mind and I was getting kind of annoyed with it. And I, I just, I, I was ready to put my book up on a shelf and just let my grandkids pull it off one day and say, Look what Papa wrote. But um, I was on my way to the gym in February of 2013. I was on my way to the gym, and my phone rang, and I answered it, and uh, he identified himself. He said, I'm a a producer here in Toronto. Um, Has anybody done anything with your book? And I I rolled my eyes when I said no because, you know, he couldn't see me. But uh, I said, no, nobody's done anything. He said, okay. He said, well, I'll get back with you in a couple of weeks. And I said, yeah, yeah, right. Okay, bye. And um, and sure enough, two weeks later, I was on my way back to the gym. And my phone rang, and it was that producer. And he said, uh, are you sitting down? And I said, matter of fact, I am. I'm driving. And he said, well, let me get you to pull off the side of the road. And so I did. And he said, uh, hey, we're going to make your book into a movie. Um, I've already got a script writer. We're working on the script and planning to um, uh, shoot the movie in July, which they didn't because the script wasn't ready. Uh, they ended up filming it in the month of November of 2013. And so, you know, lo and behold, um, it got made. And I was, I was just dumbfounded after all of that um disappointment that it, it actually turned out and it happened and so that that's how it happened well Very nice. benny so- as we uh 
I didn't mean to cut you off. I was going to say, as, as we wrap up, last question to you. Yeah. Um, Chris, I was uh, read on Facebook several days ago that you wanted to organize a, a Christian wrestling event. So uh, if you could, I don't want to jump the gun, but uh, anything you can tell us about that? And is there any way we can volunteer or donate? Yeah, thank you for asking that. You know, um, I was actually I was actually uh, working towards doing that earlier this year. Uh, I started talking last year. Uh, you know, there's a couple of Christian wrestling organizations. Uh, uh, I have a friend, Marty Miller, who's in Georgia, and his, his is called Hope Championship Wrestling. And he's got all Christian uh, professional wrestlers. And then uh, another friend of mine, uh, Richie Scrubs, has uh, uh, Wrestling for Christ in uh, North Carolina. And it's just so neat. I get invited to some of these events. And, and last year I went in March uh, to one of Marty's events. And uh, during intermission, uh, Nikita Koloff and myself got in the ring and shared our testimonies and it was just a great evening and you know saw people uh come to know the lord that night it was a great great event and so when my wife and i were driving home i just i got this idea that i said you know there's wrestlemania but uh in my day i i, I didn't know any other christians i really didn't um you know, I was kind of an anomaly. I'd go into the dressing room and find a corner. After the show, you know, they went to the strip bars and, and they went out drinking. I went home to my wife and my girls. You know, it was a different, different lifestyle for me. I didn't get involved in that. So now you have a lot of Christian professional wrestlers. Uh, Ted DiBiase, very dedicated Christian, a million-dollar man. You have Nikita Koloff who was an eight-time champion. Um, you have uh, Lex Luger, uh, the total package. Lex is now a very dedicated Christian. And, and uh, myself, uh, I have a good friend, Dr. Jimmy McDowell. Uh, that's a guy you ought to interview, too. Jimmy, Jimmy is the AIWA uh, heavyweight champion, but he's also a dentist. He's a dentist. And he's a professional wrestler. Uh, his motto is, I knock teeth out at night and I put them back in in the daytime. <laughs> uh, but uh, I just, I thought, how cool would it be to have, you know, a night where you have all these Christian wrestlers? And I was also going to have Hector Guerrero um, on that, too. Hector is a very dedicated Christian guy. And, you know, show videos of their past and the wrestling and then had them, you know, get up and tell how they came to know Christ as uh, Lord and Savior of their life. And, you know, have some great music and just make it an unbelievable uh, event because there's a lot of wrestling fans in Florida. So uh, I started it. I had people on board. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of died. And it was very depressing. And uh, I just, it, it really hurt me that we weren't able to do it and then uh, a couple weeks ago in my prayer time I just uh, you know what I'm gonna I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna give up I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do it and so you know you have to have a big building uh, you have to have the finances 
yeah, these guys aren't in it for the money, but you got to pay them something. You got to pay for their their uh, travel. You got to have a car for them, a hotel, their food. Uh, you got to pay for the building, the air conditioning, the security. There's just a lot of costs to, to doing it. And so I got to, you know, I've got to raise the money to do it. Uh, got to find the right building, but I know we've got the guys that uh, we can bring together. You know, the Undertaker. You didn't. You didn't ask me about the Undertaker. So uh, the Undertaker is uh, now a very dedicated Christian, and uh, I don't. You know, he he would probably cost too much money. So you wrestled uh, the Undertaker to a twenty-minute match, right? Yeah, I did, man. That was that was that was. <laughs> Uh, 1988, uh, February 1988. Of course, he wasn't working as the Undertaker. Uh, but Still. you know, the guy's like six six foot eight, 315 pounds. Got an unbelievable wingspan. I you read the chapter in the book. Uh, oh yeah. About the Undertaker. That's a true story. You know, my wife. I asked her. I said, "What were you doing?" She said, "I was looking for the checkbook. Make sure you paid the insurance." You know, <laughs> that was a. That was a great, great night. But uh, anyway, I'm I'm hoping it's going to come about. And the more, you know, if I get more information, I'll be sure to let you know. Please, yes. Yeah. Okay. Hey, I just want to thank you guys so much for uh, for having me. You know, it's just incredible that even though I've been out wrestling 35 years, uh, I still get to. I, there's not a week that goes by that I don't get some kind of message uh, either on Facebook or an email from somebody who watched the movie or read my book. Uh, I have people, I serve on staff here at First Baptist Orlando, and I have people that drive here from all over the United States just to meet me and get me to sign their book, which is really amazing. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I had this couple from Des Moines, Iowa that flew all the way to Orlando just to... Wow just to meet me. So, uh, I'm, I'm still so blessed and still get to be a part of, uh, professional wrestling and, and the ministry. So just very, very thankful. And, you know, it's, uh, it shows like, uh, like yours that keep it going. And so I just really can't thank you enough for, uh, for having me. And well, I hope the interview, hope the interview was okay. Absolutely. I, I think it was great. I mean, the, yeah, it was great. You know, e- even if you're, how, how to word this, even if you're not, uh, you know, open to the the narrative, the, the, the message that you're trying to send, it's still a wonderful story. And actually it's really uplifting in, in the fact that, you know, the, the, the little boy from, from Florida that came, you know, came up through the ranks and did everything. It's great stuff. So, you know, Chris Whaley, thank you again so much for being here for those listening and watching uh, Amazon. Chris, you have your own author page. Uh, the book is obviously the mask saint. And then you, you spoke of Harold's heavenly Christmas. Those can be found on Amazon. And I look forward to your Mr. President getting a chance to read that. That sounds okay. incredible. And of course, like you said, the saint.com for the movies. So, uh, Chris Whaley, again, thank you so much for our friends at YouTube, Monty and the Pharaoh. Of course, Dan and Benny in the Ring can be heard anywhere podcasts can be listened to. He's Chris Whaley, the Masked Saint. He's the Long Island Ice to be Benny Scala. I'm Dan Spashano. Have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time we're in the ring.